morning. Great to be here today. Always a pleasure to get to worship uh, with you at High Point Church. I know it's a dreary day today. We got all the text messages from people serving that couldn't make it. They were a little under the weather, but you're here today, and it's great to be here with you. Always a joy to get to come together and worship in God's house. And so thank you for being here uh, this morning. We're in a series right now called Miracles, right? And we are, we're, we're believing for God to move in 2023. Now, I want you to hear this. We are, our church meets here in Kennesaw, but we're part of a global family of churches, right, that meets around the world. And so everyone's preaching the same series and praying much of the same thing, not just here, not just in the United States, but literally around the world. And so it's exciting and, and neat to be a part of something that's bigger than just us. And I wanted you to be encouraged with that. I grew up in a church, but didn't always feel connected to something larger than my local church. Um, and my hope is that by the end of this, we'll have some videos from different churches around the world also to show you how they're experiencing uh, this as well. So with that, we're going to jump into things today. Actually, hold up before we do. I got to make sure that we remember this. Today, we got something happening after church today. Anybody know? Burgers. Hamburgers with High Point. If you're new, you're like, what? That's, that's right. We are, we're, we're just, we're having a social moment at a new burger place seven minutes from this building at Moxie's right after church today. And so make plans, even if you're new. If this is your first time, we just would love to get connected and eat a hamburger and enjoy a good time together. So make plans. It's going to be a good time. All right, with that, let me ask you a question. Does anybody here suffer from what is called fridge blindness? Now, you may be wondering, what, what is that? Like, I mean, it's a real issue, okay? It plagues many, many people, but especially married couples, okay? People who've been married. Fridge blindness is a little bit short for the word refrigerator blindness. And what that means is you open the refrigerator and you cannot see what it is you are looking for in the refrigerator. That's called refrigerator blindness. So when someone like myself, I, I don't actually think my, my, my lovely wife, Amy, she's not here right now. She's serving today. So I get to just really go in on this. She says that I suffer from this, and I don't think that I do. Okay? I think there's a, a, a far more nefarious plot right at work here. But, you know, open the fridge and, you know, I'm like, honey, where is the salsa? Right? I mean, is there anything else that I need to get from the refrigerator but salsa? No. Is there ever now? Honey, where's the salsa? It's on the, right in front of your face shelf, Andy. Right? It's right in front of your face. No, it's not. I'm telling you, it is not here. And, the, you know, she's on the couch. I'm not getting up. It's right there. I'm telling you, it's somebody has moved it. Okay? She gets up. She comes over. I'm telling you, it's devious. And then what does she do? Like a, like a rabbit out of a magic hat. Right? Just poof. It just appears. Okay? That's called fridge blindness. You just 
cannot see what is right in front of you. I don't believe, I, I, I actually suffer this. I, I, like I said, I think there's, a, there's deception at work here. What's funny though, statistically speaking, women actually have a far greater speed reflex at object recognition than men. And men have far more speed recognition at interpreting and using maps. This is statistically true across the board. Also, while I can't find the salsa, I can spot like the, the head of a deer popping out from behind a tree 17 miles away. It's like, oh, right over there. If you just keep looking, you'll see that the white-tailed deer is emerging. It's like, how does this happen? How do you see this? There's, there's a hyper-focus where you can, you, can, you can focus it and see it, but all of us, long story short, joking aside, we all know what it's like to have something right in front of us and you're just missing it. We miss stuff. Whether it's the salsa in the fridge or you miss getting your trash can out to the curb because the holiday change made it happen and you missed the garbage pickup. You missed it, right? Or you missed back in the day, if you remember, right, when you had to like be in front of your TV at 7 p.m. to watch the show before there was, before there was TiVo, if you even remember TiVo, right? Oh, yeah, right? If you missed the show at 7, you missed it. Like, it was never coming back. It was going to be years before the rerun hit, right? Like, you missed it. We know the pain of missing things. We miss birthdays. So, I mean, sometimes we miss anniversaries. Thankfully, I did not miss mine. It was yesterday, right? Nailed it. But we miss stuff. And as we get into the sermon today, my, my hope, my appeal to us is that we would be a people who don't miss what God is doing. And full confession, there are plenty of times where I do or we do. There's plenty of times where God is knocking on the door of your heart, even as Jason mentioned today. You know what you should do, but you don't want to do it. And we're missing God in the moment. We've got these moments, or, or, or it's like life, does it feel like this at times, right? Where, where life feels like you're standing in front of the spiritual fridge, and you're just like, God, I don't see what you're doing. I don't see where you are in any of this. I'm convinced that you are not here. Right, like the, like the salsa that has disappeared, even though God would say, I'm right here. You just open your eyes and see this here in this moment, but we don't see God at work. We don't see him moving, and we're wondering, God, where are you in all of this? Yeah, that's me. That's you. That's all of us. So what do we do about it? Well, I would, I would submit to you that what we need more than anything is actually God's miraculous power at work in our lives and our hearts that we would see, that we would experience, and that we would know it. Turn with me to John chapter 6. We're going to get into the feeding of the 5,000 today. It is a full-blown miracle it doesn't have the bells and whistles 
of, of a leper being healed or blind eyes open or somebody's dead and now they're alive. Like, whoa! But make no mistake about it, this is a for real miracle. And I believe it actually speaks to all of us because there are things in it that if you're not careful, you will miss. There's a whole crowd of people missing something far bigger than God just multiplying a few barley loaves and a few fish. God, be with us as we open your word, speak to us, and help us not to miss what you're doing today. God, some of us have heavy hearts. Some of us are here because we know we should be here, but we don't even want to be here. God, we're just we're going through it. God, I pray that you would meet us. Meet us in this moment. It's in your name we pray. Amen. John chapter 6, 15 verses. You ready? We're going to read it. Lock in with me here, okay? Here we go. John chapter 6. Sometime after this, Jesus has been teaching. He's been preaching. He's been healing. Like He is the miracle man. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Gotta love Jesus. Jesus is just dropping, you know, some question bombs. Well, what, what, do you, what do you think we should do, Philip? He already knows. He knows what he's going to do. It's like when God, God, is, God does that to us all the time. You may, not miss, you may not recognize it, but you feel the questioning of the Holy Spirit. God knows what he's trying to produce in you. Verse 7, Philip answered him. It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite, exclamation point. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets, 12 baskets, with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Whew, that was a lot. We have read the feeding of the 5,000 today. Little context for you. This 5,000 men, this is, these are Jewish people here. Right? There's a feeding of the 4,000 that's going to come in a, in, a, in a little bit, and it's primarily Gentiles, which should clue us in a little bit to the text 
that Jesus in the feeding of the five to the Jewish and the feeding of the four to the Gentiles is also communicating something, that he is the bread of life, not just for Jews and not just for Gentiles, but the entire world. Every single person God has life for. And everybody said, amen, right? But in this moment, right, this is the only miracle that is listed in all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all recorded. It's the only one, which once again should, should cause our ears to perk up and say, okay, there's something happening in this story that is so significant that every single Gospel account writer felt compelled to include it. And it's the only one. It's the only thing. What is going on here that is possibly bigger than this simple, I shouldn't say simple, than the amazing miracle of food being divided miraculously? What's going on here? Is there something, if we're not careful, that we are missing? Do you have fridge, do we have Bible blindness, fridge blindness in this moment? If you read the account in Matthew, Jesus has just lost his cousin, John the Baptist. John the Baptist has just died. He's been martyred. Literally, his head beheaded. Jesus is sad. The Bible says that Jesus in Matthew, he's retreating to, to a private place, a solitary place to get a little time to himself. What's he trying to do? Grieve. Be sad. Have time with God. Maybe he needs to cry. Maybe he's got some pent-up stuff and he needs to just pray and he needs to get it out. And so Jesus has been healing and he's been, he has been ministering and he's preaching and teaching and, and he's performing miracles, exceedingly amazing, I mean, just mind-blowing miracles. And the people are like, whoa, Jesus is all that. Now, they're not necessarily interested in following him, but they are stunned, shocked, amazed, and blown away by the miracles that are happening at the hands of Jesus. And so what happens? Jesus rolls up and he rolls out and he's, he, he's, he's, he's crossed the Sea of Galilee here. And he's sitting on a mountainside. And a crowd starts showing up. How big is that crowd? Oh, no big deal. Just 5,000 men. And that doesn't include women and children. Most theologians think this crowd is between 15 and 20,000 people. Go ahead and show that pic right quick. This is, this is, uh, blanking on the name of it, Chicago Arena Union? Union Arena? I'm blanking on the name of this arena. It's in Chicago. You know how many people it seats? 20,000. So what we're talking about here is a crowd showing up. Jesus is kicking it, right, with his 12 disciples. They're not planning on this. And a crowd, imagine sitting on a hillside and rafters of people. I mean, that entire, the max seating pad is 20,000 people. Let's be conservative, shall we, today? And say that that crowd was 15, 10 even. Can you imagine sitting on the hill, right? You're just minding your own business. And all of a sudden, the dust cloud starts in the distance. It's like there's a, there's a storm coming. But it's not a storm. 
It's like, you know, it's 10 people, then 100. And, and, and the, it just keeps getting bigger. If you've seen Lord of the Rings, you know, where like, like the armies emerge over the, you know, the top of the hill. And you're like, whoa, look at all these people. That's how this would have felt, right? Just, it just is an endless amount of people showing up out of nowhere. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he's like, man, I've got compassion for these people. Let's feed them. Philip, where, where should we go buy, to get the food? And Philip, you know, is if you've ever had, you know, the moment where you've talked with somebody and you're like, this guy has lost all sense of reality, like just completely detached. You may have a boss that's like that. I'm sure our leadership team has thought I have been like that at times where you're like, this person has lost their mind. We cannot possibly do this. This is insanity. Philip is close to a panic attack. And what does he say? He's like, oh, if we went to the village and, I mean, it would take half a year's salary for people to just have a, just a bite, just a little morsel. Half of your year's salary. Jesus, have you lost your mind? Then you have Andrew who's like, well, um, I mean, here's a kid with a couple fish and some barley loaves. But, but let's be honest, Jesus, like, what's this really going to do? <laughs> right? This is the context that we find ourselves in. And Jesus knows what he's trying to do. And if we're not careful, we miss it. Now, let's talk about the miracle that's actually at hand. Because there is something for us in this moment too. Jesus performs a miracle, but 99% of the people in this account don't really see the miracle for what it is. I mean, they're, they're not exposed to this conversation. They don't know Philip and, from Andrew. They don't, they don't have, you know, they're not exposed to the, to the boy who's bringing the barley loaves and the fish. They are simply recipients of this miracle. They are ones who get to experience what God is doing, but, but they're not really that involved in it. They just get blessed by it. And thankfully, that is part of how God moves in our lives. Sometimes you don't have anything to do with the equation. God just shows up and he blesses you and thank God for it. There are so many moments in your life that you are unaware of God moving and doing the extraordinary. And can we say thank you, God, that you're working in so many moments and so many occasions and I don't even see it. Thank you that you're bigger than my capacity to see. As Westerners, we, we read this account and, and Sometimes if we're not careful, we try to kind of pragmatically divide this miracle up so that we too know the three principles for experiencing God's miraculous power. And there's nothing, hear me, there's nothing wrong with examining this account of what Jesus is doing in such a manner. Because we should all walk away encouraged and challenged to bring everything we have to Jesus. That is one of the lessons from this story. In fact, your, one of your big ideas is this, that whatever you have, trust God with it. Bring it to him. Your resources, bring it to him. Your money, bring it to him. 
The thing that you look at and you're like, this can't possibly do anything, bring it to him. One of the principles of the kingdom that is, in fact, God's kingdom upside down principle is that if you would just bring your faith to the table, God will do the extraordinary, which is why faith as small as what? A mustard seed is the kind of faith that does what? It moves mountains. God is at work with the feeble and the weak and the, and the limited and the thing that we think can't possibly do or make a difference. God works in all of those equations and in all of those moments. So bring everything you've got to the table, baby. Bring your five barley loaves and bring your two fish and let God work. Stop minimizing what you think, you know, that you can do or God can do. Let him work. Bring what you've got. Bring that faith with it and let it move. Amen? That is something you should take away from this. That's the kind of kingdom that we live in with God. But there is something else happening here. And it's not small. In John chapter 5, Jesus has just had a conversation. This is before, right? He's, he's gone and tried to get a little solitary time. Jesus has just had a conversation with the religious leaders of the day, and he says this in John 5, verse 39. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify what about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus is making a declaration here and he's letting everybody know in this moment that he is life and he's getting ready to perform this miracle of, of dividing food and then he's going to have another conversation where he says, I am the bread of life. But there is this, there's an obsession with the rules, an obsession with, with getting it all right and getting everything fixed and, 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 and obedience and creating all these kind of religious fences around your life so you won't violate the commands and all these things. And Jesus is letting them know this law, which is amazing, it's God's perfect and holy law. It was never designed for you to try and obey it in perfection where you would then experience life. Uh-uh-uh, no, sorry. This law is designed to point you to the one who is life. It's designed to point you to the one who is coming. You're to look at this law and you're gonna try to obey it and you should. You should let your life be a sacrifice to God out of love and obedience to him. We should try to obey this as much as possible. But as you do, you will find quickly that you cannot possibly adhere to the, to the fullness of this law. I need somebody else to do this on my behalf. Somebody who can fulfill the law. Oh my, who could possibly do such a thing? Lord, I need a Savior. I need a Messiah. I need somebody to do what I cannot possibly do. You study this, the Word and you know it backwards and forwards and I'm telling you, it's designed to point you to me. And if you would come to me, you would finally have life. And so Jesus performs a miracle, feeding of the 5,000. And his disciples, who are Jewish, they would have caught this right away. 
2 Kings chapter 4, Jesus is fulfilling the Old Testament. Verse 42, a man came from Baal Shalishah, bringing the man of God, what? 20 loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe grain along with some heads of new grain. Give it to the people to eat, Elisha said. Who is Elisha? He is a great prophet. Give it to the people to eat. How can I set this before a hundred men? His servant asked. In other words, Elisha says, oh, you got some barley loaves? Awesome. Great job. Thanks for bringing that to the table, bro. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to feed 100 men with those loaves. And the disciples' response is, how can we possibly do such a thing? Does this sound even mildly familiar? Give it to the people to eat, for this is what the Lord says. They will eat and have some left over. Then he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over according to the word of the Lord. Jesus is sitting on a mountainside, and he's, he's come down, he's performing this miracle, and as his disciples are, are, are good Jewish young men, maybe they didn't catch it in the moment, but I promise you in the event debrief, they would have understood a little bit that this is shockingly similar to what happened to Elisha in the Old Testament. They would have known because they knew all the stories. You were taught all the stories. You knew it. And Jesus in this moment is doing something extraordinary. The people think and are oftentimes confused that Jesus is the great prophet Elijah. Elisha. And Jesus does something here. We've got a crowd of at least 5,000. And Jesus does a very similar miracle, but it's not just the same miracle. It's an even greater miracle because he is demonstrating to everyone present, but especially to his disciples, that he is trying to teach something to, that he is greater than all the prophets who have come before him. Who do you say that I am, Peter? Well, some say that you're Elisha. Some say the prophet. Some say this. Who do you say that I am? I say that you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. There's no one like you. Jesus is showing and demonstrating and teaching that there's no one like him. Oh, he's not Elijah. He's not Elisha. He is greater than all the prophets who have come before him. Jesus is sitting once again on a mountainside. And this is the, the devotion that people have to the prophet, to the law, and to Moses. It is an unbelievable devotion. And Jesus is establishing his own supremacy. Who do we know that sat or, or went up on a mountainside and came down with the law, teaching it to the people, and then literally walking with them through a wilderness, through a, a desert, through a time of wandering as they grumbled and complained about being hungry and brought them spiritual food in their time of wandering. Who, had, who was called to have compassion and lead them in such a way? Who did that? It was Moses 
who came down from the mountain carrying the word. But Jesus came down from the mountain not carrying the word. He is the word. He is the fulfillment of the word. And he led out of compassion with his people. He does the miracle and he establishes, no, 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 no. I'm not just giving you food. I am the food. It's not that I can just change everything. I am everything. Jesus changes everything because Jesus is everything. And that is the miracle of the 5,000. It's that Jesus is gloriously greater and better and more magnificent than anything you could possibly taste or imagine or experience anywhere in this entire world. That is who Jesus is. There's none like him. No one compares, no prophet, not even Moses and not even the law. Jesus fulfills it all. And in this moment, whether they caught it or not, many people missed it. Because what they were after was a Messiah who could do stuff for them. They wanted a God who could show up and do miracles. And hear me, I do the exact same thing. I wanted Jesus of my own making who shows up and does all the miracles that I need him to. I want him to, I want him to do everything. And Jesus wants to be my everything. I want my appetite satisfied. And Jesus is trying to satisfy my soul. Taste this and you'll never grow hungry again. Drink this and you'll never be thirsty again. The greatest miracle is the revelation in your heart of who Jesus really is. I need God to show up in some miraculous ways. Honestly, between you and me, I got some stuff. And between you to me, you got stuff. And we all need God to show up in powerful, miraculous ways. But in the showing up, never mistake the greatest miracle of all. And that is knowing who Jesus is and letting your eyes and your heart acknowledge him. God, there is no one like you. God, even if you don't show up and feed my soul this way, satisfy the appetite that I need in my situation or my circumstance, God, there's no one like you. You are greater than anything that I have in my life. You are the greatest. You are the Messiah. You are the all-powerful one, the one who's moving on my behalf. Who is like you, Lord? No one. No one, God. It's a little toasty up here. If you're like, oh my gosh, he's like, Andy just lost 19 pounds of sweat preaching today. I got here today and it was freezing. So I cranked the thermostat up. And now Andy is like, up here on the stage. I forgot my little hanky. It's all right. I want you to hear this because one of the things that's been helpful for me, some of you know Gerald here at the church. He's on our leadership team. 
We used to have a, you know, a weekly prayer call. and There's something about hearing people pray. Where you, get to, you actually get to know them spiritually so much better when you hear people pray and you hear their heart. And one of the things that I love about Gerald that he talks about is that he talks about when he's praying, sometimes he doesn't even know what to pray. Or sometimes the situation is so difficult that all he can get out of his mouth is Jesus. Just Jesus. Jesus. And it stuck with me. And I sometimes, initially, I'm like, okay, I think you can pray a little bit more than that. Like, I think you can get a little bit like, what, like, what do you need? What do you need? But the reality is sometimes the greatest thing that you can do is just say Jesus to acknowledge that he captures it all. Who is he? He is the great I am. Who is like him? No one. The glory, the magnificence, the amazingness of Jesus Christ. To esteem him, Jesus. I was driving down the street this week. I had the worship song playing. I'm driving by myself in my car. And it was just one of those moments. I don't even know how to explain it. But I could just feel the emotion welling up inside of me. God is convicting me of my sin before him and yet also giving me a heart of gratitude that he doesn't hold it against me, that Jesus took it upon himself. And I just, I couldn't really even, I have a difficult time even trying to define to you all that was kind of going through my heart and soul in this moment. But, but what just came out was Jesus. And the tears were coming down because God was just stretching the revelation of who he is. And I was missing it. And my encouragement to you today is not to miss it. Stand to your feet. I don't know where this just appeared from. It's a miracle. <laughs> it's a miracle. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Patrick and I understand each other on this stage. <sighs> We're going to pray. We're going to pray together. Some of you do need God to show up in a very specific way. Ask him to. Don't be shy. Ask him. He is a miracle working God. And in the miracle working, let God open your eyes to a greater revelation of who He is. And if you don't need God to show up in some miraculous way right now, even though I bet some of you do, most of you probably do, be like the disciples who are having their eyes open to the glory of Jesus. Father, I pray right now for this church. I pray for us as a body and us as a community right now. God, and I pray that, that all of our situations, God, that we would be bringing them to you by faith.
God, whatever it is, maybe it's a relationship strain. Maybe it's a financial difficulty. Maybe it's something with husbands or wives or being single or going through a divorce or whatever the pain and difficulty it might be. God, the tension point, you are a miracle working God. And so, Lord, we're asking that you would show up and that you would move miraculously. God, that you would demonstrate your power, that you would demonstrate your authority. Let us be a people today who acknowledge you at work and say, holy smokes, look at the God that I serve. Look what he can do. There's none like him. God, and in this moment, I also pray in 2023 that we would be a people. God, a people, a church, Lord, whose eyes are open to Jesus that we would see you, that we would know you. And God, there would be no one like you in our hearts. Nothing competes for the everything that you are. You change everything because you are everything. Be everything to us today, God. We bring it all to you. We bring our five barley loaves and our two fish, and we bring it all. Be our king. Be our savior today. It's in your name. Amen.